grew and it grew and it grew until it was a big, sweet, enormous thump. Ooh, mine are getting a bit tired. How are you doing? I think I'll try with the other hand now. Steady now. Hello there, welcome to your Sunday service. It's Chappie, the British butler, and it's keep calm and cauliflower cheese. All your delectations and all of your prayers have been answered, and all of the things that you think about when you get down on your knees and pray to the God up above is coming to pass. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 172, and it's lovely to be here. A time on a Sunday where you just need a little bit of time for yourself and just a little bit of silence and quiet and reflection. Well, instead of doing that, listen to Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. We're having a right, ripe, rousing affair today uh, on the podcast, and I hope you'll be along for the rest of the ride. And you know what? I'm feeling bright-eyed and, dare I say, bushy-tailed. The clocks have moved forward. And normally, that seems to be a time when I can't sleep, then I wake up, I think it's 7 o'clock, but it's really 8 o'clock, and it's not really a good start to the whole summer experience, the spring and summer experience. But today I had, I think, maybe 8 or 9 hours of sleep, so I feel bright-eyed and ready and raring for action today on the podcast. I hope you are too, as I know this isn't the time when uh, it's not very pleasant, is it? You wake up and it's still dark outside. The clocks have gone forward. It was seven o'clock yesterday at the same time, but now it's six o'clock and you have to get up and it's pitch black and it doesn't get much better over the coming weeks here. Why do we change? bother to change the clocks? I mean, a lot of people say that we should just keep the sort of uh, BST, British summertime or summertime daylight saving hours all year round. I don't know though. I do like it in the winter time when it gets a little bit darker and then you have those lighter mornings. If you're a morning, if, you, if you're a morning cock like myself, then uh, you want to get up, get out and get ready and uh, raring to go for the day. And that's really what I'm like. I mean, I love to get up early, walk the dogs as uh, morning is beginning to break it. And I think you know, I think we need a little bit of a sing-a-song. Do we need a little bit of a sing-song here? Let's get a little bit of a sing-song here. Yeah. Okay, are we ready here? <laughs> oh, la, 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 Oh, here we go. Things bright and beautiful, all the creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. There we go. 
I hope you're <laughs> I hope you're ready to go now. If that hasn't put you off listening to this um, rather <laughs> rubbish-laden uh, vehicle of a podcast, and nothing well. But we've got plenty of fun and some uh, frolics along the way here, so uh, enjoy it. But oh my God, it's the church. So I've got a little bit of a theory here. Through the whole uh, COVID two years here of lockdowns and basically staying indoors, keeping yourself to yourself, not being able to see people and just caution. I think I've got the situation that wearing my face mask now uh, has allowed the hairs below my nose and my moustache or what would be my tash, my moustache, to um, become a little bit more vibrant. It's almost like manure or fertilizer uh, for growth below uh, the nose and on the, on the upper lip. Being to think that below the, uh, below the nose where the mask is covering is perfect sort of humidity and warmth and a perfect sort of growing conditions to grow excess hair. But I've got the situation now, I've never been growing more hair on, uh, on the sort of moustache area, on the, on the upper lip, ever before. And I think it's, I think it's been sort of um, almost propagating or irrigating or the perfect growing conditions for a moustache. Because now I've got the situation that I cannot find a blade that's strong enough to shave all the hairs under my nose. It's getting, it's getting annoying because I even got one of those small little, um, small little razor, razor blade things just to do those little areas. Because if you have a large nose, you cannot really shave under the nose. It's impossible. There's no, sha- there's no razor that's small enough to get under that sort of crevasse, you know, the shadow of one's Everest of a nose. You can't do it. So you have to get these like little razor blade things just to get under those nostrils and little areas here. But I'm getting like long hairs growing in the mustache region that I think I'm shaving off where the blades are not being able to shave it off. And I think that the um, mask has sort of propagated perfect conditions to grow a mustache. Now I'm not gonna grow a mustache. I mean, I, if I did, it'd probably be a Freddie Mercury. I'd do that, I think probably before anything else. But I can't get rid of the wisps. It's sort of willow the wisps under the nose here, and it's very, very disconcerting. And um, I don't know. I mean, maybe I need to start going out without any any miles on during the cold, and get get the sort of under the nasal area back to sort of freezing cold conditions and unfavorable growing conditions. So on yesterday's podcast, we talked about uh, last Sunday when I basically rescued a lost pug. And I uh, put the pug back into the arms of somebody with a huge marijuana habit. I mean, the lady opened the door, she was off her head. I mean, she didn't know. I mean, I could have been, I could have been the abominable snowman before she knew. And I was covered in snow. It's an easy mistake to make, I think. Uh, but she said, that's my, that's my, that's my pug. Oh, and oh my God, you have a lovely accent. It wasn't Bill Clinton, <laughs> just to let you know. It wasn't Bill Clinton, like, high in a very small car looking for his lost pug. 
And uh, so there's a snow-laden chase, so that was on the podcast yesterday, and uh, also how I had a dream of me basically playing in the Australian Open, but the Australian Women's Open final. Yeah, if you want to hear more of that, then listen to Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 171, 172 today, and on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the M&M's, not M&M, M&M's, the uh, chocolate-covered candy, the poor man Smarty is uh, introducing album artworks. It's sort of weird. I sort of like sort of David Bowie's Aladdin. So they're introducing like classic album artwork. I'm thinking this is a little bit strange. Wasn't there a whole marketing campaign about the blue M&M and how rare it is to find the blue M&M? It's almost like the whole Willy Wonka thing, folding, folding, finding the golden ticket, but finding a blue M&M was just as rare as that. And what sort of things make your blood pressure go up? Now, I was... I think just about just taking my blood pressure makes my blood pressure go up. That's the whole white coat syndrome. But I took my blood pressure the other day and it was fine. But what raises your blood pressure? Uh, also, the whole accent thing from yesterday's podcast. Uh, when people constantly say you have a nice accent, what does it make you think? We'll be talking about that as well. Uh, and also, when you're trying to confirm something. I mean, is this like a, a COVID thing? Um, but I'm finding the situation where I probably have to confirm something maybe five or six times. And if you've ever tried, um, I know we live in the day of text and, well, we don't like phone calls anymore, do we? But have you ever tried a, a, a social email confirmation? It's actually impossible. So when do you, I mean, I think you just need to get a letter emboshed with your signet ring and then put it on a hawk's leg and then send the confirmation over, and then they have to sign it and send it back on the hawk's leg. That's the confirmation you need. We'll be talking about that anyway as well. And also my foot got ran over yesterday. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. And also my favorite type of calzone. We discussed it, but never went into it. Uh, we did look at uh, how too much uh, nutmeg can poison you, basically. Have some Trump or trombone. We have some rate my plate. And also, uh, on yesterday's program, we found out how, uh, here in Denver, they uh, discovered a box of uh, stolen heads. They were cadavers' heads, uh, basically a box of heads. I mean, this is like an episode of Walking Dead, isn't it? I mean, this is a little bit like the remake of that classic, Wide-Eyed and Headless. So I think it's safe to say that most people picture the Queen as an upstanding, sensible, and generally serious figure. But it turns out she's as much a fan of rude jokes as any of us. Whether it's an age-old pull-my-finger or a more intricate quip with perfectly timed punchline, rude jokes are typically the hardest ones to resist laughing at. This probably goes without saying, but you think Queen Elizabeth II might be harder to win over when it comes to jokes that wouldn't pass a PG rating. According to my London, though, some of these things around her apparently thought the same so much that one person actually attempted to stop her from hearing one particularly crude joke once told by sir donald gosling former chairman of the national car parks during a naval ceremony a courtier familiar with the situation described what happened explaining the cream would relish seeing don because he would also always supply uh, with a fresh supply of jokes which is sense of humor was a little bit salty on this particular occasion gosling was seated one seat away from the queen from the labor defense secretary uh, fred mullery in between them recalling what happened the source said 
Don was in full flow, telling her the latest joke involving a horse trainer giving Viagra to a runner at the 2.30 at Newmarket. Uh, when the minister put up his hand and stopped on, obviously thinking the Queen shouldn't be exposed to such ribaldry. Though Mully uh, obviously thought he had done doing the Queen a favour, it turned out Her Majesty was furious to the point she berated Paul Mully for the ruining of the joke. She made Don tell the whole joke all over again and shrieked with laughter at the punchline, which was about the horse winning against stiff competition or something like that. It turns out the Queen has herself been the subject of a few jokes throughout her reign, one was, was revealed by her trusted ha- hairdresser, uh, Angela Kelly, in her book, The Other Side of the Coin. Kelly described how the prank took place on April Fool's Day during a 2006 tour of Australia. She put a stuffed toy version of a kookaburra in a cage on a balcony and convinced the Queen it was real, but it had died. After revealing the scheme to be an April Fool, the Queen said, You're sacked. Uh, though I thoroughly wouldn't advise launching into a Viagra joke or a dead animal prank if you're lucky enough to meet the Queen. It's fun to know she's just about uh, giving serious speeches and wearing incredible coordinated outfits. It is that time of year where, with St. Patrick's Day around the corner, we always like to launch into some limericks. So we're going to have today's podcast scattered with some very dirty limericks. So here we go, kicking off. There once was a man from devices whose balls were various sizes. One was so small you couldn't see it at all. The other was so big it won prizes. So M&M's pop culture has always gone hand in hand with the beloved candy company. They might have taken things to a whole new level with M&M's album art packs. So M&M's are basically poor man's smarty, as I said. In this new musically inspired collection, uh, M&M's look to bring fans new collection featuring the characters we all know and love in a sweet tribute to several landmark album covers. The new limited edition packaging will feature art artists uh, known for promoting a sense of belonging and inspiring fans to be their true selves. From our perennial favorite chocolate to the new product innovations to must-visit retail stores, the M&M's brand has a long-standing history of bringing joy and fun to fans, and M&M's art album is the next step on the journey, says the chief marketing officer. M&M's album art harnesses the power of music to connect people by helping them find commonalities rather than focus on their differences to inspire a deeper sense of belonging and shape the world that's connected, caring, and celebratory. So as part of the M&M's album art packs collection features four unique designs inspired by iconic album covers from the likes of uh, David Bowie, Casey Musgraves, and Rosalia. The goal bringing uh, to feature artists from a variety of musical genres to help fans from their cultures, backgrounds, and generations be represented by the release. David Bowie's album Aladdin Slade, released in 1973, Casey Musgrove's Golden Hour album, released in 2018, Rosalia's El Marquera, released in 2018. So the album art packs will be available in four fan favorites, milk chocolate, peanut butter, and minis, and will be sold in single and share sizes. So I found the perfect solution. If you're worried about something, concerned, if you're stressed, if your blood pressure is indeed rising to an extreme amount, I found something that will basically keep your mind off it. It will uh, push your thoughts in a completely different direction. And this is what you need to do. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation. I mean, you don't get very much snow in the UK anymore, but all around the world, especially in Colorado, you get those 
very sort of icy sort of lakes and uh, puddles and rivers that form just as the ice is melting. So you've got your sidewalk, you've got your pavement, and then you've got this icy cold river, and then beyond that, probably an area where you could slip over and break your nose. So what you need to do, I don't know if you've ever done this before, if you're ever getting picked up in a car and you have to go from the pavement or the sidewalk into the car across this, uh, basically an icy malaise. Well, what you need to do, and, and, and often people slightly, uh, slightly churlish or cheeky little imps decide to park slightly far away, and then you have to do the splits. So you basically have one of your legs on the pavement, and then you stretch the other leg across the uh, icy malaise, the icy river, and um, into the car. So when you have shorter legs, this can be slightly problematic and it can uh, eventually create some sort of uh, basic castration or you feel the uh, the muscles of an area tightening that probably shouldn't be tightening in that situation so this happened to me the other day uh, I had to stretch across the uh, the icy ravine below one of my short stubby legs was on the pavement and I stretched the other leg over uh, probably probably since the last time I did gymnastics. That's probably the last time that I, uh, I, I decided to uh, stretch that part of my body in that way. Anyway, it, it's, let me put it this way. It's not a yoga move. It's probably something you shouldn't try at home. Uh, but it takes your mind off everything else. So if you're worried about passing your exam, you're worried about maybe offending your mother-in-law you're worried about uh, an appointment that you have to keep. Now, doing the uh, basically yoga split across an icy ravine will cure all of your ills and make you forget everything else. Basically stretched a muscle you never realized you had. So how is a cricket's chirp related to temperature? Like all other insects, crickets are cold-blooded, meaning they take on the temperature of their surroundings. As temperature rises, it becomes easier for them to chirp, whereas when temperature falls, reaction rates slow, causing a cricket's chirp to also diminish. Male crickets chirp for multiple reasons, including warning off predators and attracting female mates. But the sound of the actual chirp is due to the hard, rigid structure of one's wings, and when rubbed together with the other wings, this is a distinctive chirp that you hear at night. It's Dolbear's Law. This correlation between the air temperature and the rate at which his crickets chirp was first studied by Amos Dolbear in 19th century, a physicist, professor, and inventor. Dr. Dolbear systematically studied various species of crickets to determine the chirp rate based on the temperature. And based on his research, he published an article in 1897. So this is how to estimate temperature from the chirps. Anyone outside at night listening to crickets sing can put Dolber's law to the test uh, with this shortcut method. And also if they're hidden under your fridge, like happened to me. So I basically had a, I think a male cricket chirping under my fridge last summer, uh, trying to basically uh, encourage a whorehouse of crickets. Uh, but anyway, t t this, is how you, this is how you pick up the temperature from the chirping, chirping crickets. Number one, pick out the chirping sound of a, a single cricket. Number two, count the number of chirps a cricket makes in 15 seconds. Write down and remember this number. God, this is very, very complicated. I need a notepad. 
Add 40 to the number of chirps counted, this sum gives you the rough estimate of the temperature in Fahrenheit. But this is a note, Dolbear's law is best at estimating temperature when the tree cricket chirps are used, when the temperature is between 55 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and on summer evenings when crickets are best heard. So I mean, I, I guess if you brought a cricket inside during frigid temperatures, um, the chirps would be a lot lower and slower, and you wouldn't have an accurate reading. And how do you get minus, minus chirps if it is really the coldest day of the season? Here is another lovely little limerick for you. My candle burns at both ends, it will not last the night, but ah, my foes and oh, my friends, it gives a lovely light. So I had the, uh, the lady who I rescued the pug for the other day during a blizzard last Sunday basically, oh my God, you have a lovely accent. So anyway, that's what she said to me, and I hear this quite a lot. I mean, it's not, oh, you've got perfectly shaped eyebrows or your bouffant hair is wonderful. Oh my God, that big nose is the best and biggest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, no, you don't get that. It's always the lovely accent here. But it, what it makes you think here, because I, I, as I said, I think I was talking the other day, my darling, that, saying that I feel like an outsider. I've lived in America for a very long time, but still feel like an outsider. There's nothing wrong with that. It gives you a different sort of perspective. Um, but basically, what does it make you do? I mean, I probably need to go and see a therapist every time. Uh, well, not every time, but quite often you, you get the whole accent thing. Oh, where are you from? Um, yeah, so that you get that you're basically being reminded constantly that you're an alien. Now, I'm a legal alien <laughs> before somebody kicks me out and I have to do this podcast underground somewhere in a basement. Um, that, may, that may be coming soon, you never know. But, but you constantly be reminded that you are indeed a resident legal alien, but still an alien. Uh, but I can't do the dance. I can't do the men in black dance. I've always wanted to do the dance and I've always wanted to be a synchronized dancing alien. Dance alien, dance. So we have another rate my plate. This is one of my favorite Twitter handles along with very British problems. But this is very good. So you take a picture off your food. I think I'm gonna have to do this one day. I'm gonna do this and put this on the podcast. I'm gonna take a picture of my food and get everybody to uh, basically comment on how uh, insipid, all delicious, delightful looking that it is. So we had um, Sarah G on Twitter, on Rate My Plate now, uh, poached eggs on crumpets. So crumpets are sort of porous. They look like the sort of moon surface, the moon landing uh, is, is basically um, almost like a raised, thicker pancake. Uh, and it's porous, lots of holes in it. Perfect for soaking up butter and delicious jam if you want to do that. But no, Sarah's buttered them up and she's got two perfect poached eggs. She's basically inserted a little uh, a little hole and the yolk is gooey and um, basically smothering the crumpets. Here. So you've got yolk laden crumpets uh, on a plate. And uh, this is basically what some of the comments uh, came back for Sarah. Yes, you need some Marmite on those crumpets, then you'll have a winning breakfast brunch. Now, I, I basically threw up in my mouth now. Marmite is the most insipid thing. I, I liken Marmite to having doggy doo-doo on my shoes. That's about the same thing. Not sure how I feel about this. Crumpets good, runny poached eggs good, but together, I'm not sure. 
Uh, how did you manage to get perfect poached eggs twice? Uh, no to the chili flakes on the picture. They look good in the pitch. Crumpets look a bit dry on the side, so you need a bit more butter. A bit more butter. It looks like the egg on the right is doing something rude and disgusting all over the plate. Is this the first time the plate has been rated itself? I love poached eggs on crumpets with ham. It's even better. And then you basically have uh, a picture of Gordon Ramsay saying, oh, off. I've tried chucky eggs uh, on them uh, the other morning. Delicious. Uh, if you haven't tried it, you basically need to. And TP says, sorrowful, clearly not enough butter on the crumpets for starters. And the marvellous Spike Milligan, Ning Nang Nong. On the Ning Nang Nong where the cows bow bong and the monkeys all say boo, there's a Nong Nang Ning where the trees go ping and the teapots jibber jabber jew. On the Nong Nang Ning where the mice go clang and you've got can't catch them then what they'll do. So it's a Ning Nang Nong, cows go bong, Nong Nang Ning, trees go ping, Nong Ning Nang, the mice go clang, and what a noisy place to belong is the Ning Nang Ning Nang Nong. Though we like to see the podcast sometimes as a little bit of a snowball effect, so we want to look at the origins of crumpets. Crumpet is a traditional British tea time treat, is known as a griddle cake. Known for its cratered surface, a spongy cake is traditionally toasted and spread with butter. Crumpets originated in the 17th century as thin pancakes made from flour, milk and an egg base. Today's version likely developed in the Victorian era when bakers added yeast and then baking powder to the recipe. Traditionally, the mixture is poured onto a griddle or baking sheet fitted with special crumpet rings. Oh, I have to find myself a crumpet ring. I mean, I guess you really have to source your crumpet rings carefully because, I mean, you just don't know where your crumpet ring has has been um the mixture is poured onto this griddle and then you have the crumpet ring it's baked on one side only leaving the uncooked moist sponge-like top of its distinctive nook and crannies oh to have a nook and dare i say a cranny invented english muffins on the other hand are firm and more bread-like cooked on both sides and split split for toasting before being served crumpets are toasted generously buttered triple buttered i think and often sprinkled with a pinch of salt and maybe topped with a poached egg a slice of bacon or smeared with honey jam and syrup oh i don't want a sticky nook and cranny so covid has probably made many social interactions and getting back into the social scene meeting people uh, socializing with people meeting up with friends have you found this i'm beginning to find that when you're uh, ready to meet up with somebody whether it's a business transaction or social or anything these days and I mean it's always been a little bit like this as well I think people are generally poor communicators um, but how many confirmations do you need so I had the situation where I'm trying to basically organize a dog sitter dog walker uh, for when I'm going to be away in the near future don't worry I'll still squeeze in a few podcasts but anyway I if confirmed with this young lady uh i think it was two or three times yesterday and i was meant to be meeting her at noon and then she never turned up and i was rereading i basically confirmed three times that noon would be fine and i was rereading and at the end of her last email she this is why we need to get back on the phone again isn't it she basically but a question mark and I didn't see the question mark so it was left sort of unanswered uh, it was um, very vague 
and not solid communication. So I get the situation where it's like 12.30, expecting her to come over so I could you know, introduce the dogs to her. I shouldn't even turn up because of that one question mark. I had said that noon on Saturday would work well for me. She confirmed that noon would work. I thought it was fine. But she, the last email that she sent to me, there was a question mark. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we need to get back on the phone again so we're not wasting minutes, hours, days of our lives waiting for the ultimate confirmation. So is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Conventional wisdom has long considered breakfast necessary to jumpstart your day, but the research says you have to make the most of your morning meal. And breakfast energizing power derives from its role in replenishing glucose, a simple sugar that serves as the body's energy source, and it is broken down and absorbed by the carbohydrates that we eat. And how crucial is breakfast? There are lots of schools of thoughts on how, but little research says breakfast is the most important than any other meal of the day. But therapist Clemmy McPherson says what we should be focusing on is what we're eating for breakfast, especially if we want to maximize the meal's energy stoking potential. Having a balanced breakfast is important. So that means some protein, healthy fats, complex carbohydrates to keep us with all the nutrients and energy we need to keep us full until our next meal, including a portion of two fruits and also vegetables if you're not wired to feel energized in the morning but dream of being here is some advice from the experts if the early bird catches a worm what does a night owl get pressure to wake up sooner a big old guilt trip for hitting the snooze button fiona barwick phd a clinical professor at the stanford center for sleep sciences says, as a society we've come to believe that the person is weak or lazy if they aren't awake and alert early yet research shows that each of us has genetic uh, chronotype that plays a role when we wake up and sleep some of us biologically inclined to perform best in the morning these are morning larks and some of us more active in the dark in an ideal world you could adjust your schedule to suit your body's natural preferences both larks and owls can have sleep schedules that leave them rested and also productive the good news for night people is genetics aren't everything experts share how everyone yet all of us that watch TV into the wee hours can reprogram our body and mind to wake up early naturally and function better all morning long. Get the first five minutes of the day right, even if the sun isn't up yet, expose yourself. No, not like that. Expose yourself to as much light as possible. Morning light is a stimulating biological effect even when your eyes are closed. It's how our internal clock knows it's time to start the day, especially when it's uh, spring forward and you're losing an hour. It's critical to get, them, get out of bed as soon as your alarm sounds. Ease into it when it comes to adjusting your internal clock. Slow and steady is the name of the game. If you typically get up at 9 a.m., don't expect to wake up at 6 a.m. after two days. That's against the natural capabilities of your body. Instead, gradually inch towards your ideal start time by going to bed and getting up 15 minutes earlier than usual. Move the time back by 15 minutes every two days until you're where you want to be. Don't mess with the total number of hours you aim for each night. Most of us need around eight hours of rest. Oh, to have eight hours of rest. So I had a very interesting situation yesterday, Work, walking around the shopping mall. Now, it's absolutely packed. I think 10% of people are having masks. 
I'm trying to grow this moustache, so I'm trying to irrigate and propagate and uh, really alleviate my moustache growing potential. So I'm keeping the mask on for the moment. So anyway, uh, walking around here and it was absolutely chock-a-blocked. So went into the, into the sweet store, the chocolate store, all the delicious Cadbury's chocolate you can ever wish for and then try to explain the whole uh, the whole thing about wine gums oh my god that sounds horrible no wine gums are delicious especially the port flavored ones yeah the port flavored ones are my favorite those dark i think they're like a, a dark rouge um almost like a burgundy lovely lovely wine gums anyway trying to squeeze around looking at the chocolate uh, being very very good because I didn't buy any because I have, still have a whole chest full of, uh, of chocolates getting down to the white chocolate so I think I'm going to donate it um, anyway so walking around and this uh, lady in a huge uh, motorized wheelchair was uh, was was right next to me and I was sort of leaning over to look at the chocolates and then uh, you know what happened the uh, lady decided to uh, wheel over my left foot now, yes, it was incredibly painful. I was wincing. At that moment, I needed to bite into a lever strap as I was about to give an expletive off, but I didn't want to. It was a slightly awkward situation because I didn't want to, you know, the poor lady was in the wheelchair looking at the chocolate, minding her own business, and I believe accidentally, it could have been on purpose, ran over my foot. Now, what do you do in that situation? I mean, that's when I could have done with a mouthful of wine gums to chew on, uh, basically chew on my tongue as well to stop me from saying anything. Uh, she looked up. I think she realized what had happened. She didn't say anything. She looked forward and was plowing forward in her wheelchair, uh, basically put, put everything into fifth gear to speed away. I just politely smiled as my left foot was throbbing and I'm probably going to just have to go and see the foot doctor now. We have thousands of bones in our toes. I'm just wondering which one is broken. We have a slow, temperate drum roll to Trump or trombone here, but we have a man who was hospitalized after being bitten by a black widow spider and feared he would lose his penis altogether. Fergus Farrelly woke up on uh, the 7th of January at his mother's house in Cavan Island when he noticed a marble-sized lump on his private parts. Uh, it could have been bulbous, it could have been a potato, for God's sake. This 26-year-old initially dismissed it over the next few days, but the lump grew bigger and bigger. On the third day, he was finally persuaded to go to the A&E after the lump has reached the size of a golf ball and turning purple. Fergus said, I had no idea what it was. When I first went to hospital, the doctors didn't know either. It was constantly a burning pain, and the lump grew bigger and bigger. Could have tried some ointment on it. Uh, to make matters worse, after he arrived, the huge cyst burst, leaving a giant hole where it had once been. Over the next few days, doctors ran a number of tests on Fergus and finally spotted the venom of a black widow spider in his blood test. False widow spiders, also increasingly common across Ireland, share a similar toxin to the black widow. Days later, after the main drain was drained, uh, he has now been left with a two centimeter scarf. Oh, dear boy, and now boasting. Reflecting on his horrifying and painful experience, he admitted he feared the worst. I was convinced I was going to lose my penis. The doctors didn't know uh, any more than me, and had never seen a bite down there before, so I was very worried. And there once was a man from Sprocket who went for a ride on a rocket. The rocket went bang, his balls went clang, and he found a dick in his pocket. They're walking very quickly into Trumpel Trombone. 
Uh, in Flagstaff, Arizona, a New York City man was needed to be rescued twice on consecutive days while hiking a northern Arizona mountain range is urging others to pay more attention to winter weather. Warning, unless you're an experienced alpine mountaineer, do not attempt Humphreys Peak in the winter. There's so much snow that it's difficult to follow the trail and very easy to fall off it. Moreover, the wind is absolutely brutal. The 28-year-old uh, man from Brooklyn first called 911 last Wednesday at 7 p.m. He got lost while hiking at the Humphrey Trail in the San Francisco peaks overlooking Flagstaff in Arizona. The statement didn't identify Vasto by name, but he spoke to the Arizona Daily Sun by telling the newspaper in a story published Tuesday that his experienced hiker had underestimated the conditions. The trail runs about 5.5 miles of steep, rocky terrain between the Arizona Snowball Ski Resort and Humphreys Peak. During the first rescue, uh, tractor vehicles from the ski resort that travel on snow days, Vasto off the mountain, declined medical attention. At 5 p.m. the next day, Vasto called 911 to say he needed help again after injuring himself in a fall near the ridge at the Humphrey Trail. An Arizona Department of Safety uh, vehicle helicopter was sent to pick up Vasto uh, and another hiker who had stopped to help him. Uh, Vasto was provided with preventative search and uh, rescue education about the conditions on the trail and the, pro and the approaching winter storm and encouraged not to attempt the hike again. The other hiker stopped to help Vasto, Philip White, said it very apparently wasn't prepared for the climate that he'd gotten himself into. White decided to stay with Vasto and provided his number on the search and rescue team so that they could make contact in the likely scenario that Vasto's phone ran out of battery life because uh, he was using it to check his route on the trail locator app. I really respect Phil's perseverance, uh, said the Daily Sun. I hope he's going to make it to the top sometime, but not on the next consecutive day. I mean, what he needs to do, really, is next time he has to mark his tra trail with flagstaffs. And the California Highway Patrol and local animal control officers responded Wednesday when a cow was spotted wandering in the eastbound lanes of the 210 freeway in Lakeview Terrace. Authorities attempted to use their vehicles to guide the cow off the roadway, but the bovine became spooked on an exit ramp and ran back onto the freeway. The animal was carefully coaxed off the freeway and was temporarily blocked in the in, uh, by the authorities in the parking lot of the shopping center, but the cow managed to escape again by climbing a staircase to Foothill Boulevard. The uh, motorcycle officer pursued the cow as it wandered to the dirt drive where a nearby farm and entered the yard. The cow was lassoed by farm workers the uh, workers said the cow did not originate from that particular farm. It was unclear whether the cow had escaped from the vehicle on the freeway or if it had wandered onto the road from a nearby farm. Oh, come on, the cow was just milking the attention. <coughs> the pot-bellied pig snuggles up to Wyvern Flat when he watches TV and sometimes rolls over to let him pet her belly. The 110-pound pig is family, Flat says. An emotional support animal helped him through his divorce and death of his mother. Officials in the upstate village of uh, Konajaji uh, see it as very differently. To them, the pig is a farm animal Flat is harboring in the village illegally. The case could soon be headed to the criminal trial, but has already caught the attention of pig partisans who believe the animal should be respected more as companions just as a, instead of just a food source. I never dream of giving away somebody who's part of my family, Flat said. She's very smart. She's more intelligent than dogs. I think she can kind of hone in on what you're feeling bad because she wants to come in and snuggle with you. Ellie is a knee-high Vietnamese pot-bellied pig with black dress coat and hooves that clack on the floor when she walks uh, from her kitchen food dish. Flat was living in South Carolina uh, when she got the pig when it was as big as a shoe. 
code offers a toll flat he was housing Ellie illegally in 2019 during a visit for the building permit request. When the village noticed Ellie was there six months later, flat was formally notified he was violating the local code barring farm animals in the village. Violation of the zoning code is a misdemeanor. Gosh, this is a real pig in a poke. Just cannot let these evil authorities make Ellie into emotional support bacon. It's been beautiful having you here today. Thank you, thank you for joining me. My name's Chappie, and I, uh, I, I am, I'm the host of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. So it's lovely. Whoa, marvellous having you here. So if you like to listen to this podcast and you want it to keep going forever and ever and ever and make Chappie a very happy Chappie, then you need to like and subscribe. Uh, you can like and subscribe on all of the different platforms. If you just listen, like just me and basically a monologue, old school style, talking to a microphone, no interruptions, just me basically going on and on and on and on and on. On and on, I tell us. On and on. Then you have to listen to Apple Music. There's a Spotify audio version only. Slacker, Breaker, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Audible, Amazon Music. You can basically hear me anywhere. Now, I bet you as that little pig, that little potbelly pig was snorting, you could probably hear uh, Keep Calm and Colorful Cheese emanating from the said pig's nostrils. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but if you like a musical edition of the uh, podcast, if you like some music scattered with your nonsensical ramblings, then uh, you should listen on Spotify. There's a Butler and Poor in musical edition. And this week we have some real delights for you. We have, oh my God, it's a church. We have also uh, some wide-eyed and legless, notorious B.I.G., David Bowie, Casey Musgraves, some old dirty bastard. How about you, Dusty Springfield, Deacon Blue, with some Dua Lipa, Mel Tomé, Stevie Wonder, Marcia Griffiths, cast, oh, and a whole boatload of banging tunes between me, basically trying to tickle your funny bones. And this is a drinking song for St. Patrick's Day. Wine comes in at the mouth and love comes in out at the eye. And all we know for the truth before we grow old and die. I lift my glass to my mouth. I look at you and I sigh. To have a little bit of a non-traditional limit. Candy tree shops. If ice creams could be grown on treetops, tiny tummies would be liking it lots. Any fruit flavor for all to savor, do stop by at the ice cream tree shop. If only the trees could grow lollipops with sharp tangy tastes of lemon drops, lolly licky lick with zingy twists come along with a skip and a hop. If chocolate heaven grew on a tree leaf, bountiful, tempting, delicious to eat, a smooth silky treat in a chalky feast, if only they weren't so out of reach. If bubblegum grew on trees that blew, bubble in the air to catch to chew be nimble be quick remember the trick don't swallow because the gum sticks like glue all are welcome at the candy tree shop feast your eyes on all the goody they've got there are enough treats for all of you down the street so come and join the jiggery jog until next time have a lovely st patrick's day week i will see you again next weekend chappy out cheerio